TLR family. How are we feeling tonight? Are y'all good? Awesome. I didn't even know that Paul was going to do the whole lockup thing, but I was planning on coming up here and saying, TLR fam, how are we doing? So that, that worked out. Um, but man, it is good to be here tonight. And I just want to let you know that from the top, um, that this is, we, we view this as more than just a gathering. We actually do view this as a family, um, a place where you can belong before you believe, before you believe all this stuff that we're singing about, or even if you never do. And I think that part could be the most important part. You need to know tonight, if you're in the room and you're like, I'm an atheist, I don't believe any of this, um, I've been burned by the church tonight, I just want to let you know that you belong here, and you belong before you believe all this, or even if you never do. So if you keep coming for the next three, four, five years of college, and you're still like, I don't believe any of this, I just want to let you know you still belong here, and this is still a family where you're welcome and you're loved. Um, I hope you go on a journey and you can discover who Jesus is, that, that's obviously our hope, but I just want to let you know that from the top. But hey, um, tonight we are um, moving forward in part two of our series, Big Little Lies, which if you missed last week or if you were here last week, you know that Beth um, kicked us off and she did an incredible job, did she not, kicking us off? Beth did really, really awesome. Um, And I loved loved what she said. And really the whole idea behind this series, Big Little Lies, is we're talking about insecurity. Because the reality is every single person in the room, if you are living a breathing person, every single person in the room deals with insecurity. Like even like the toughest guy in the room who's like, bro, I'm strong. Like you deal with insecurity if everything's going well in your life or you give off this vibe that like you're super confident. All of us deal with insecurity to some extent. And here's the truth about your insecurities. Your insecurities seem really big to you. Your insecurities seem big and challenging to overcome, and if they didn't seem big and challenging to overcome, then they probably wouldn't be insecurities to you. So they seem really big, but as we're going to look at in this series, when you start to put your big insecurities up against the truth of God and you look at it from another perspective, your insecurities can start to become smaller and smaller over time to eventually they can feel little. And ultimately, the hope is that these big insecurities can start to feel little and eventually can be exposed to the lies that they really are. And so that's why we titled this series Big Little Lies, and I'm super excited for tonight, Big Little Lies Part 2. We get to continue on in this conversation. And I want to start off tonight by kind of uh, throwing like a random thought or question at you. I don't know if it's really a question, but um, I promise there's a purpose to this. Any of you know any first graders? Anybody? Okay, a couple. No one knows a first grader. All right, well, first graders are people that are like five or six years old, and, um, and they're really, really awesome. Like, I don't know how you feel about first graders. Maybe you have a little brother or sister who's a first grader, and you're like, yo, we don't want to talk about how I feel about them right now. Um, maybe you have a friend who has a sibling. Maybe, like, you nanny for a first grader. I don't know. I would imagine at some point in your life, like, you've interacted with a first grader. And, and I personally feel like first graders are awesome. Like, I think that this is just, like, one of the best seasons of life. I know if you talk to, like, a parent of a first grader, they'll be like, yeah, uh, you'd have a different mindset. Like, they're crazy, and they challenge me on everything. But I just think that five- and six-year-olds um, are just, like, they're, they're alive, and, like, they just have so much energy, and, like, they're starting to settle into their personalities, and, like, you can actually have, like, real-life intelligent conversations with them sometimes. And I just think they're awesome. And my wife, um, she taught first grade for, for four and a half years. And so I got the opportunity often to go and to visit with her and to kind of like just, you know, get to know her students. And, and I love this. I love this. And every time I'd go, like, I kind of had the privilege of just like being like the, the husband who comes in, like the cool uncle or the cool, uh, you know, husband. And I'd be like, yo, what's up, guys? I brought cookies, tons of sugar. It's 9 a.m. Let's do it, you know. And then I'd leave. And I'm like, yo, girl, figure it out, you know. And so they loved me. Every time I came, they're like, Mr. Matt, Mr. Matt. And I'm like, what's up, my people, you know. And so like that's just kind of how it was. 
Um, and while we're on topic, um, there was this, this one year, I think it was like her second or third year of teaching, and she's like, oh, Matt, I got this kid in my class that you're going to love. Like, he's hilarious. Like, you need to meet him. He's got so much swag. And I'm like, okay, like, I, I'm excited about this. So I show up, and I'm like, all right, where's this kid at? Like, I don't even really know his name. And I see this kid that's wearing a backwards hat, which I'm like, yo, I, like, hats aren't allowed in school. This is a private school. You wear uniforms. Like, what's, what's going on? And then I, like, look, and his outfit's, like, like, like pretty dope and then I'm like oh and you're also wearing like the new Kyrie's and I kind of want those and I'm like okay you must be the kid and sure enough he's like hey yo Mr. Pat and I'm like all right all right first off buddy it's not Mr. Pat it's Mr. Matt but what's up and he's like okay Mr. Pat and I'm like all right now you're just trying to annoy me but you're a first grader whatever we're not gonna fight and I'm like all right what's what's up man and he's like hey um I just got a question is Miss Noblet um is she your girlfriend and I was like, listen here, um, she's not my girlfriend, um, she's actually my, my wife, we are, we are married, is that, is that cool with you? And he's like, oh yeah, I just wanted to let you know that she'd be acting like she's my girlfriend. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, is that, is, that, is that right, little guy? And he's like, um, yeah, he's like, she's be laughing at all my jokes, and she calls me, and he's like, she gives me like hugs like every day, like all the time, like I'm like, it's too much. And I'm like, okay, buddy, like, and so I go home that night, and I'm literally like, Yo, Ann, we need to talk. Like, this kid, like, he's funny. He's funny. And she's like, yo, like, forget about it. And, and, and this story, um, th this story uh, literally has nothing to do with my message tonight. Um, but I, I, was, I felt insecure about it. So there's the tie-in. Awesome. Okay. So back to first grade, though, because I did have a point with where I was going with the first grade thing. Um, one day, Ann was like, hey, um, do you mind like substitute teaching for my class every now and then? And I was like, sure. Like I love first graders. They love me. We're cool. Like, you know, how hard could it be? Um, side note, any elementary education majors in the room um, tonight? Okay. Two. Awesome. That's great. Well, for the two of you, like props, because it is, you're stepping into like, I'm just going to say it is like a minefield. Like it's crazy, you know, like it's nuts what you're stepping into. It's challenging. It's going to be difficult. But it's awesome. Keep going. Um, and so she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm like, I'll, I'll come sub, you know. And she's like, okay, cool. Well, I think I'm going to be out like in a couple weeks. And so you're only going to have to be there for like the morning, maybe a little bit into the afternoon. She's like, but I think it'd be a good idea for you to come and like kind of shadow me and just get an idea of like how I, I run my class and all that. I'm like, oh, cool. So I come in and like I just kind of get a coffee and like I'm sitting in the back trying to be like, oh, I don't have any treats for you guys today. Like I'm just, I'm here for business. And it was amazing. Like, the way that she controlled these, this, these kids and, like, got them into a routine and, and, and just they, they knew what to do. I was like, this is truly, like, remarkable. But then what was even more incredible is, like, right before she started teaching, right before they officially started their day, she looked at them and she said, first grade, who are you? And in unison, I'll never forget this, in unison, they all said, we are world changers. And my jaw dropped, and I'm like, what did they say? Like, was that a recording? And luckily she asked him it three times in a row. She goes, first grade, who are you? And they go, we are world changers. She said, first grade, who are you? And they say, we are world changers. And they said it like loud and proud every single time. It got a little bit louder. And I don't know what exactly I was expecting for them to say, but I don't think it was that. Like, I, I kind of thought like they're first graders. They're gonna be like, what does that question even mean? Or like, you know, maybe like my boy who thinks that, you know, he's taking my girl is gonna be like, I'm Superman, I don't know, like he's going to say something smart or something like that, but like I definitely didn't expect for them to say confidently together, we are world changers. And I think part of what shocked me so much is because I thought about my own life, and I thought like, Matt, how would you answer that question? Like if someone were to ask you, hey Matt, who are you? Like what would you say? And I thought, you know, I probably would say like, well, 
I'm a husband, like I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a dad, I'm a friend, I'm a son, like I'm a former athlete, still like to act like I'm an athlete, but I'm really not, like I'm washed up, you know, I, I don't really know, like that's about it, like it's kind of a challenging question, and I'm just curious to know tonight, if I were to say, TLR, who are you, what, what would your response be? That's awesome. <laughs> I knew somebody was going to say that. Um, but, but in all honesty, that's amazing. You are a world changer. All of you are. But, um, but if I were to like sit down and have coffee with you or have lunch with you and I just looked at you and said, hey, who, who are you? Like, what would you say? I just would love to hear from, from a couple people. What, what would you say to, to answer that question? Like, honestly, not all at once. <laughs> what do you got? Innovative. Innovative. Love that. Love that. You don't have to raise your hand, by the way. You can just shout it out. Um, but I, I do appreciate the hand raising. That's awesome. It's like a class, you know. Um, anybody else? Intelligent. Intelligent. Say it again. Tired. Tired I feel you. Um, <laughs> anybody? Don't fall asleep. I'm watching you. Anybody else? We got one in the back. Passionate. Passionate. So cool. Happy. Happy. Love that. Yeah. Maybe some of you would say you're students. You're a friend. You're an athlete. The list could go on and on and on. But here's the reality. When you think about this question right here, who are you? I think oftentimes, if we're being honest, and we're not just giving like, like the church answer, I think oftentimes we would say what we do defines who we are. And I get it. Because the things that you do, they matter to you. It's important. Like the things that you do, the things that you're involved in, it's what you're passionate about. It's what you think about. It's what you spend your time doing. And if we could just be real tonight, like you're, you're in college, most of you. And like this is a season of life where you're supposed to have dreams, you're supposed to have goals, you're supposed to be moving forward down a path of achieving something. So I understand this. I understand that what we do sometimes feels like it should define who we are. Like as you grow up, as you mature, like you feel like this, this kind of should be true of me. Like when you meet someone, it's like, hey, my name is so-and-so, and like this is what I do. But the problem is that when what we do begins to define who we are, our identity is circumstantial, fearful, and fragile. When the things that we do begin to define who we are, then our identity becomes circumstantial, fearful, and fragile. And here's what I mean by this. Like, let's say you have a job right now, and, and, it's, and it's what you do, and you're finding your identity in it. You feel like what you do is kind of defining who you are, but what happens when you lose that job? What happens when circumstances change? And your identity is shifted. What happens when you feel like you're crushing it? Like you feel like you're going to get the promotion because who else would? But then a new employee comes in and you feel like, wow, they're really crushing it. And now you're fearful. Your whole identity is based around fear. Or what happens when you have this influence? Like you feel like you're holding on to something, but it seems so fragile because you know that nothing is going to last forever. You know that this influence isn't going to last forever. So it feels like what you do, which defines who you are, is really, really fragile. A few years ago, when Uber was kind of just breaking onto the scene, um, I was living in St. Louis at the time, and Uber was just popping up in some major cities, like it probably was in Atlanta and some, you know, Los Angeles, like big cities, New York. It hadn't made, it, hadn't made its way to St. Louis yet. But I had some friends that were like, hey, it's coming, and like, it's awesome, like, it's going to be the next big thing, and they were right, and I was like, that's super cool, and they're like, man, you should like drive to make some extra cash, like, especially like right when it comes, because there's not going to be a lot of drivers, no one's even going to know about it, and I was like, okay, I'll consider it. So Uber eventually comes to St. Louis, and I hear about it, and like a week after it comes to St. Louis, I apply. I'm like, why not? Let's just test it out. I'm curious. Let's just do it. 
So I become an Uber driver, and it was like pretty awesome. For the first couple weeks, like I would make these trips, and like I was making really good money because there wasn't a lot of Uber drivers, and people were just starting to hear about it, and word was spreading, so like demand was pretty high, and so the rates were like constantly surging. I don't know if that's what they still call it, uh, but it was great, and I had some really cool stories. Like I got to pick up a couple professional athletes and like bring them underneath like the locker room, and I was like, yo, I don't belong here, but whatever, and like it was awesome. And I realized that like, I started talking, like in every conversation I would be in with anybody, at some point the Uber thing would come up. And I'd start talking to them about it, I'd start telling them about it, I'm like, yeah, I'm a driver, yeah, I can pick you up, like right now, I'll just swipe on, yo, request an Uber, I'm your Uber, you know? Like that could happen at any time. And what I realized was that what I did was beginning to find who I was. Like I'm not saying that my whole life was revolving around Uber, but again, like it was coming up in every conversation, so if I'm just being honest, like what I did was beginning to define who I was. It was defining, becoming my identity. But then about three weeks into being an Uber driver, it was Saturday afternoon, it was a beautiful day in St. Louis, my wife and I were driving around, and I was like, hey, um, why don't I just like go live and like we'll pick somebody up in Uber? And she's like, can you do that? Like I'm in the front seat, like don't you need to have a few seats? I'm like, no, it's fine. Like I always just pick up like one, maybe two people, they get in my back, it's cool, like we'll, we'll just do it. And she's like, okay, whatever. And so we, we go live, we get like a request right away from this, this really big, nice park, like that's where the location is. It's called Forest Park in St. Louis. And so I'm like, okay, let's go there. And we go there and I realize that there's a wedding happening. And so to have a wedding in this park, it would be like a really big deal, like cost a lot of money. And so these people were like dressed really, really nice. And I pick up this family of three and they have a little daughter. And the man was like, hey, um, we need four seats. And I was like, well, um, hey, my wife is like in the front seat. And he's like, oh, okay, well, like we're we're gonna need to change that. And so I was like, okay, well, I don't really know what, what to do. Like, I can make two trips if you want. Like, I won't even charge you, you know. And he, he had some words to say that were um, encouraging words to me. I won't share them with you, though, because it was, a, a, it was interesting choices of words. And so he had some things to say to me. We talked for like three or four minutes. Um, I didn't really say much, but he talked a lot to me and gave me a really inspirational speech that changed my life forever. And from that day forward, I never drove for Uber again. <laughs> like, that was the end of my Uber driving career. The best part was he thought he would make a point, and so he canceled the ride on me right there. He's like, I'm canceling, and it charged him a $5 cancellation fee. It was amazing. Um, (laughs) But can I just tell you this? In that moment, my identity was disrupted. My identity had been disrupted, and as a result, insecurities began to arise in my life. And I started feeling like, man, I'm I'm not going to try new things anymore. Like, I'm just going to kind of stay in my lane and my comfort. Like, why did, I, why did I ever do that in the first place? I'm not good with directions. Like, I don't know why I thought this was going to be a thing for me. Like, I don't like confrontation. Like, at some point it was going to happen. Like, what was I doing? And then people would, like, keep asking me about Uber because that's, like, all I had talked about for the last three weeks. And now I had to feel, like, ashamed and, like, make up things and be like, yeah, I'm just not doing it anymore. And, like, I had all of these insecurities that I really had never even faced before in my life. And I look at this and I think, I feel like probably all of you in the room can relate. Where you had something in your life that you were doing, that you were a part of, and it began, whether you meant for it to become your identity or not, it started to define who you are. But then something happened, and your identity was disrupted, and insecurities arose as a result. And this is a trap. It's it's an identity trap. Like all of us have fallen into it at times and this is part of the reason why adulting is so hard 
Because you think about adulting, and adulting requires change, like whether you like it or not. And some of you are like, man, I love change. Others of you are like, I hate change. Some of you are like, I don't know, I'm somewhere in between. I just like to not think about change. But change is a part of adulting. And change is fine, change is great, but with change, your identity at some point is gonna be disrupted, even if it's just a little bit. And once your identity is disrupted, insecurities are gonna rise up inside of you. And this is why for so many of you in college, in this season of your life, you feel like you're dealing with things, you're experiencing insecurities that you've never felt in your entire life. And you're starting to doubt everything. You're wondering, like, did I make a mistake? Like, did I choose the wrong school? Should I even be here? Like, what's wrong with me? Do I, do I need to figure something out? Do I need to go start seeing someone and talking to someone? Like, do I need to make new friends? And all these insecurities have arose in your life, and you just are starting to think, like, maybe this is just how life works. Like, maybe I'm just always going to feel this way. The good news for us tonight is that this identity trap is not a brand new thing. Like, if I could just ease your tension for a moment, like, you're not alone in that. If I were to ask you to raise your hand tonight and say, how many of you feel like you've ever fell into this trap? How many of you have ever felt like in college, like you're dealing with insecurities that you've never felt before? I would imagine, like, almost every single person in the room would raise their hand. But there's this guy named Paul. And Paul seemingly had accomplished everything there was to accomplish. Like, if there was someone who could find their identity in the things that they had done, it was Paul. And look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. This is a letter that he wrote to the church, to the people at Philippi. He says, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Like Paul's not trying to brag. He's not trying to be conceited or arrogant here. He's just acknowledging the fact like, yes, I've accomplished a lot of things in my life. Like people have told me this and it's true. Like from the worldly standpoint, I seem to be very, very successful. He goes on and he says, these are some of the things that I've accomplished. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. Keep going, verse six. He says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. So he says, listen, I was born into the right family. I grew up in the right environment. I got the best education you could possibly get. I was extremely successful, extremely smart. I had a lot of influence, and, and I really, everything I did, I just did really, really, really well. And there'd be so many people that would say, man, you have it all. And then look what he says in, in verse 7. I love this. He says, I, was, I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So essentially what Paul is saying here is that there was a point in my life where I thought that these things I had accomplished, these things that I was doing, that this is who, what defined who I was. Like, these, this is what defined my identity. He said, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. I realize that what I do does not, it should not define who I am. And he goes on, and, and a little bit later in Galatians, another letter that he wrote to the church, he says this, he says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. So what Paul is saying here is that there was a time when your works really did matter. When like the things that you did, that, that, that defined your identity. Like that's who you were. He said, but then... God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins, and his death and resurrection has changed the game. 
And now it's no longer about your works. It's no longer about what you can do. It's about what's been done for you. And then he says, hey, do you know who you are? If he was here tonight speaking to you, I think he would say, living room, do you know who you are? Check this out. He says, for you are all. That word all in the, in the Greek, in the Hebrew, means like all, like, like every single person. He says, for you all are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, this is who you are. This is where your identity should be found. Essentially, what Paul is saying here is what you do should not define who you are. What you do should not define who you are. He's not saying that what you do is not important, but what you do shouldn't become your identity. And if it is, then your identity is gonna be circumstantial, fearful, and fragile, and I don't think that any of you want that. What you do should not define who you are, but what you do should be informed by who you are. What you do should be informed by who you are, meaning when you know who you are, it's gonna impact the way that you live, it's gonna impact the things that you do. See, if what you do is, is defining who you are, then you're gonna start to believe that you are just a student. You are just a coffee shop barista. You are just a friend. You are just a regular person. Like, you are just kind of average. But if what you do is being informed by who you are, then you're gonna start to see that you're not just a student. You are not just average. You are not just a grocery store clerk. You are not just a regular person, like you're so much more than that. You're a son, you're a daughter of the most high God. My daughter, Willow, is, is three weeks old today. This is a picture of her. This is taken a couple days ago, right? Um, she's super, super cute. And I love this picture so much because um, if I could just make a couple comments, like I don't know if she's, I, I took this picture like from right on top of her and I don't know if she's like, yo, dad, watch out, I'm about to dunk on you. Like it kind of looks like that a little bit. Um, I don't know if it's like I'm getting my praise on and she's like, you're a good, good father. I don't know if it's that or if maybe she's just like, uh, uh, you know, like that, like that's, or, or maybe she's just stretching because she does that 90 times a day. Like maybe it's just like, uh, you know, that's probably what it is. But I wanted to show you this picture which I love this girl so much, by the way, and she really is three weeks old today. Um, she's not home yet, but she will be soon. Can't wait to introduce her to you guys. But when I see my daughter, and I've heard stories about this, and I'm like, man, I, I knew that like, this is probably true, but like, you can't describe the feeling. And, and at some point, Willow is going to start to believe some insecurities in her life. Like at some point, her identity is gonna be disrupted, and at some point, insecurities are going to start to arise in her life, and she's going to start to believe some lies, and she's going to start to say, you know, I'm just this, I'm just that, and I hate that for her. I hate that. I wish I could take that away. Like, I, I really want Willow to be successful. Like, I want her to have a great life. I want her to chase after her dreams. Like, I, I want her to, to accomplish amazing things. I want her to make really good grades or be successful in whatever she sets out to do, whether it's sports, the band, whatever it might be. I want her to have great relationships. I want her to, to marry a great guy and have an amazing family. I want all of those things for her. But you know what the truth is? None of those things that she can do will ever define the way that I love her. 
Like, it doesn't matter what she can do. Like, right now, like, I love her immensely. Like, I can't describe to you the love that I feel for my daughter, Willow. But yet, right now, like, there's nothing really that she's done for me. In fact, she leads a pretty simple life. She poops, she sleeps, and she eats. Like, that's about it. <laughs> she's not really doing a lot to be like, oh, look what I did for you today, Dad. Like, I took, no, none of that. And that's not going to change. Like, I am always going to be proud of her. I'm always gonna be for her. I'm always gonna speak potential into her. I'm always gonna forgive her. I'm always gonna love her, no matter what. Even if she makes terrible decisions, even if she messes up time and time again, even if she looks at me and like is like, Dad, I'm disappointed in you. Like, it will break my heart, but I will still love her. And yet I think, how much more? Like, I'm an imperfect father. I'm gonna mess up. I'm gonna fail. How much more? Does her perfect heavenly father love her? Like, what does he see when he looks at Willow? How does he feel when he thinks about her future? And then I think about you guys. Your heavenly father feels the exact same way about you. And some of you in here, you're like, no, no, he doesn't. I've, I've heard the opposite before in my life. I've never felt the love of God. I've been burnt. And can I just tell you, I hear you. But God looks at you and he says, you're my child. You're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you more than you could ever imagine. And can I just tell you this? Knowing who you truly are begins with discovering who Jesus truly is. And this is why I love this environment, because it's a safe place for you to go on a journey of discovering who Jesus is to you. And I just believe that knowing who you truly are, knowing your true identity, it begins with discovering who Jesus truly is because when you start to discover who Jesus is, you're gonna to start to realize, man, he has amazing plans for me. He's never given up on me. Like his perspective of me has never changed. He loves me and that changes things. I love this night tonight because tonight is, is Be Rich Monday at the living room. And tonight we had a huge challenge and you guys rose up in an amazing way. And honestly, we set a goal that was like crazy, like $3,500 was unbelievable. And can I just tell you tonight, like we did an amazing job and we are going to achieve the goal because we have some really generous in this people in this church who are gonna help fill in the gap. But tonight we raised $2,564.55, which is incredible, incredible. And the truth is, I don't know exactly how many people are in this room, but that number, 2564, that's based off $5.75 that was donated per head. But we had some volunteers who, who heard about this over the past couple days, and they're like, hey, we wanna raise it a little bit. So our volunteers ended up coming in in the last couple days, and it ended up getting up to $6.25. So that number is gonna be a little bit higher, probably closer to $3,000, which is unbelievable. Like there are gonna be some students elementary students at Woodson Park Academy that are now gonna have a totally different experience because of you guys. Like they're gonna get on the bus and they're gonna have hope. They're gonna have, they're gonna have an adult that's speaking into their life. They're gonna feel a peace. They're not gonna be worried. Their, their family members, their parents are gonna be like, hey, it's gonna be okay. Like, cause there's an adult that's looking out for them that has their back. And in a very similar way tonight, if you would begin 
to find your identity not in what you can do, but in what Jesus has done for you, I believe that you could have a totally different experience in life. I believe that you could find a freedom that maybe you've never felt before. That you could realize that like you have a freedom to try things. You're not afraid to fail. Like you're more confident. You'll start worrying less. It doesn't mean that everything's gonna be perfect, but you're gonna experience a new freedom because when you know who you are, it frees you up to live the life that God has called you to live. So my challenge to you tonight is just to simply ask you the question, who are you? Who are you? Because I believe you're the son, you're the daughter of the living God, the living God, and he loves you and he sees you tonight. He sees you just as you are. So Jesus, tonight, we just come to you with everything that we're carrying right now. For some of us in the room, God, tonight, things are going really, really good in life. Like, it's, it's, it's great. But then there's a lot of others of us that, like, tonight, it feels like a lot of things are falling apart. Maybe we're struggling with some things. Maybe as we're talking about insecurities, we're starting to bring insecurities to mind that we're currently experiencing. But tonight, God, we know that there's hope in you. There's hope in the risen Savior, Jesus. And I just pray that tonight some of us could step away from believing that the things that we do define who we are and that some of us tonight could start to realize that who we are is found in, in, in whose we are. And we're yours. We're your loved son. We're your loved daughter. We thank you that there is so much power. There is so much freedom in your name, Jesus. Where you are, there is our freedom. Where you are, chains will hit the ground, whatever chains we're carrying. Where you are, Hope will awaken, the darkness is shaken. And we thank you for that, Jesus. It's in your mighty, victorious name that we pray tonight. Amen.